Welcome to the Sustainable You podcast, presented by Kush, keeping us sustainably healthy. Tune in weekly for interviews with sustainability experts, entertainers, and everyone in between as we discuss what sustainability means to them. All right. So, Charlie Moore here with Sustainable You, brought to you by Kush. Um, I have an awesome, awesome guest. He's been on our show before. I love working with him. This is Super Max Lerner, New York City Park. <laughs> And uh, I'm envious of him right now. He's he's in paradise on a balcony, even though he's in quarantine. So Max, just jump in and tell us a little bit about that. What's going sure. on? Right now so people get an idea of what is and why. No problem. Happy to. It's it's all that's on my mind at current. We, <laughs> uh, I, in combination with a number of partners and POs and volunteers and interns, are working on the second phase of a project here called Enchanted Gardens, which is an approximately 70 acre parcel of land that we're managing through uh, amazing collaborative work with a lot of local partners, as well as institutional agencies and universities and a lot of volunteers. And so I'm out here, uh, especially during these wild times to really make sure that we still keep this momentum going uh, much like, and we've talked about it a little bit in past calls, we have a similar program as an opportunity to extend the horizon for people that intern through our primary organization through parks, if for whatever reason they're not able to get to the next level of academia or the next level of their professional journey, and they want another really impactful and amazing experience to put on the resume to help them further along in their career development, they can do this really meaningful work that really from day to day you can see big differences on and is an incredibly unique package to present to an employer by developing farms in rural Japan. In a similar way, we now have a project that's a little bit of a lighter lift to take them to Hawaii, just as meaningful, just as impactful. We have a large parcel of land here that we're developing educational program. We're developing programs for physical therapy and for mental therapy through it. We're developing horticultural preserves and pollinator corridors and all different interesting things. And because it's such a large central plot, it's really easy to activate a lot of pilots, much like the interns at NYC Parks are perpetually activating pilots. This is like a large test ground that they can control and coordinate ongoing research in. And I'm out here now uh, also being very mindful of the COVID guidelines and learning more about how New York City can get a really solid takeaway from Hawaii's really phenomenal implementation of COVID guidelines. Of course, no one's going to try to sugarcoat that it's fun being in quarantine uh, pseudo house arrest for two weeks, but we're getting a lot of work done. We're meeting with you. We're meeting with lots of wonderful partners. We're chatting it up. We're getting a lot of institutional paperwork done, and then we got to the site. Uh, but it's but it's interesting. I mean, they've really done a great job here in Hawaii of effectively implementing COVID guidelines that clearly work. They've had hardly over a thousand cases total over this whole time, whereas New York is over four hundred thousand cases. It's, it's really like night and day statistics. And because they take it seriously here and we, we've been visited by uh, attorney general people, you have to check in on an app, you have to fill out your paperwork at the airport, you have to fill out a lot of waivers, you have to be registered, you have random calls, you have phone tracking. It's, it's really no joke stuff. And as much as that's a lot, like it's also very meaningful to take a strong stance in public health and be someone that's complying with that for the greater good. So so we're cool with it. And I mean, I really can't complain with the optics, even though it's uh, not fun to not be able to go too far off my balcony. Like, you can't beat the Zoom backgrounds. That is, yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> oh, dude, that is, so 
So is that house on the property in Hawaii? No, 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 no. There are no formal properties. On, there are no formal houses on the property. Uh, we're about 20 minutes away by car. The, we're in Oahu and the property is in Kailua. Okay. It's a large parcel that was formerly in 2008. Uh, a large segment of this hillside area was developed for residential. And then at some point, the city said, they said, uh, no more parcels for residential. Uh, we've, we've reached the quota, but they still had land that had been clear cut in anticipation of residential development. So that really puts you in a dangerous ecological situation where you suddenly have an open plain in a uh, natural area that's lush, like all the craziest invasive weeds came in. And now we're talking over a decade later, when we acquired the property, it's completely choked with monocultures of very hostile plants. You're talking very thorny elephant grass, very, uh, very aggressive weeds. You can't really walk through the property. There's no real biodiversity. It's not really acclimated to local native plants or to pollinators or really any purposeful growth. So we're going in there and trying to really find a way to make the space more effective and more educational and more usable and more interactive for the public. And I think it's really important. There's only so much land in Hawaii and to have a big parcel just be choked and inaccessible and not doing anything for the general ecology and biodiversity of Hawaii is just a bust. So it, it's a big job, but it's really possible through people such as interns and volunteers and local construction, hopefully some of the movers. Yeah, dude, this is, um, I, so I'm, I hope you have your machetes ready. It seems you got to start clear cutting. Is that plan? Yeah, I mean, tactile clear cutting. What is it? <laughs> but yes, I mean, we're going to have to use a lot of hand sites. It'll be tactile clear cutting. We're going to have to use a lot of hand sites and other tools. Uh, it, it almost feels like, an, I, I've said it's like almost gamified. It's kind of like, and this is why I think it would be really cool with drone footage. It's kind of like you've gone to a randomly generated Minecraft map and you can do anything. Like you can remove plants, you can excavate soil, you can make a trail, you can build a little area. It, it's really interesting when you're working with such a heavily vegetated space where you know that every piece of it uh, can be, uh, is potentially fungible. It, it's an interesting environmental puzzle to get involved in. That is awesome. I mean, for anyone out there listening right now, it's, you guys have a great opportunity to learn from one of the most passionate experts there is in the entire field. So um, his information is right there, there below. Max, you might, you might get bombarded and say, Charlie, don't ever share my information again. But, <laughs> but no, please. No, it's uh, important. I mean, the lifeblood of all of these projects are volunteers. Yeah. Yeah. So now, all right. So let's talk about, because when you were talking, you really hit like three different big topics uh, on the onset. Mm -hmm. So let's jump into, let's jump into Japan. And then I want to track back with Hawaii. Mm -hmm. And then I know that you have a video clip uh, for us. So let's hit on the Japan piece a little bit. When you're ready mm -hmm. to queue up the video, you just just tell Steve you're ready to go. Sure. So it, it's a multifaceted engine we have at Parks. It's primarily, I mean, we do a lot of stuff. We get a lot done. We pilot a lot of tech. We really help to lead the agency in having a strong understanding of all the emerging ideas and technologies and best practices. But that's also simultaneously a springboard for developing professionals to get over this massive uncanny valley from the first job to the first career move. 
And it's really important that people, especially developing scientists in the shaky field that is the wild west of environmental science in the US, still a very new field, to get a lot of really interesting and impactful dynamic stuff to show employers like, hey, I've cut my teeth on a lot of projects, they've done a lot of cool stuff, here's my track record, here's all the things I've researched, I've worked with this agency, I've worked with this NPO. So not only are we doing that at parks where we pilot all these wild and crazy, interesting, unique things, and then we roll them out, but then to take it to the next level, we have these partner organizations that are working to create interesting intern opportunities abroad, which is just such a, much like when you go, when call, students in college do the, the study abroad, because that's like such a dynamic thing to have to say, oh, I learned in another country. I not only learned for academic sake, but I also learned new cultural values. Like that's a really, people pay for that because it's an added value to your education. And similarly, not paid, uh, the people participating would be being paid, but the idea of adding not only a lot of experience, but a lot of experience in multiple places really shows a concrete track record that's very hard for to be discounted. So in that effort, we've created these dynamic opportunities in both Hawaii and Japan. Japan one's really fun. The Japan one uh, is a longer standing one. It's primarily focused on working with local farmers in the most rural prefectures of Japan. So Shimane and Totori prefecture, really, really out in the boonies. And, and why this work is meaningful is because just by the logistics of the situation, they cannot physically manage the projects on the ground. The rural environment is not popular in Japan by and large. Uh, young people by and large want to move to cities. Young people by and large want to move into tech. Uh, the environmental work is not in vogue, working with your hands is not in vogue, organic food is not in vogue, this like strange cultural phenomenon, which a lot of these things are not the case, and kind of in this really unique twist, which I'll definitely like hold the flag up for the U.S., like the U.S. is actually quite keen on organics, and people, students in the U.S. are really excited to get their hands dirty and to work in environmental science, it's a very popular sector right now, so bringing that enthusiasm to a country that has the land and has the facilities and has the setup but doesn't have the people power to activate those is a really powerful move. And it's really important because eventually, I mean, cultural phenomenons go in waves. Japan will, in a couple of years, get super excited about organic food and super excited about uh, working the land and back to nature and sustainability. And it's just a matter of time till that wave catches up to them. But in the interim, they have lots of farms that they can't grow anything on because they just don't have the people power. Uh, you're welcome to roll a clip, and it kind of captures that. Uh, it, it's interesting working within those cultural intersections to find an opportunity for developing professionals to do really important and meaningful work that otherwise just isn't possible. So it's been a lot of connecting the interesting dots around the world. Cool. Please, uh, show the clip. Do this clip. Wow, okay. <laughs> That's a Negi farm. Very big differences between oh, look at you, man. American and Japanese farming most american farms are very big and very industrial most japanese farms are small and local in america we use a lot of machines to farm and there's not a lot of care taken to each individual plant whereas here we've been learning Every farmer puts so much care into their crops. They have so much pride in the food they're putting out. Very, very educational to be here and to see that difference.
and it feels really good to be a part of that. <laughs> that was uh, one of the rare organic farms in Japan that we were filming. There are only 500 people in all of Japan doing organic farming. And wow. it doesn't, it's not one person to a farm. So there's barely any, it's there, it's the fight for each percent. They want 1% of the crops coming out of Japan to be organic. Right now it's like barely half a percent. It's a really tough battle. And due to a number of logistical things, I, I would say, generally speaking, it's never good to speak in generalizations, but like on the whole, a lot of the priority in buying fruits and vegetables, buying produce in Japan is optics. It's There's a big part of the value of fruits and vegetables in Japan that's based on what it looks like. And by the nature of the beast, when you're growing organic food, it's usually incredibly delicious and incredibly nutritious, but the optics can kind of be a grab bag. If you're not using any insecticides, herbicides, pesticides, fungicides, any of that, your, your tomato could look kind of funky. It could be humongous. It could be kind of lopsided. And that makes it very difficult to sell in Japan. And a lot of the food lobbies that coordinate the large sale, because it's a strained, just like in the U.S. where we have the USDA, there's equivalents in Japan. And for the sake of making sure that crops can be subsidized and that farmers can actually manage to even stay alive at all, there's large bulk buying. And they have very strict guidelines of what the crops have to look like to match those guidelines. So organic crops just kind of go right out the window. It's like, this doesn't look like the guidelines so we can't buy this. So vis-a-vis -vis organic farming really isn't that feasible, except on very small local levels when you're not selling through bulk buyers. But then you're not selling to grocery stores. You're not selling to big box stores. So it, it's a challenging equation. And it's really powerful to get people who are motivated to do something that otherwise is superhuman by the local standards and make it possible. It takes a lot of people power. It's amazing too because you did, you brought up definitely a really really valid point. I mean, I've seen how they treat their melons when they grow their melons, and how they treat um, mm. their strawberries and their apples, and oh, the yeah. meticulous care that goes into it. And it's just very surprising to find that it's not that they don't have that precedence or care of or of so much of going organic, and now it's starting to transition. I like the micro farm. I mean, it's way. I like the waves. micro farm. Mm. You know, I think you could. I mm. think you could do. I, I wish yeah. this country had more micro farm, you know, that was very localized. I mean, on the reverse side of it, I'm sure that that wave is starting to catch on. Like a lot of people are getting frustrated living in cities. And especially now when we add global health pandemics into the mix, people are very keen on the idea of living more rural. I think there's going to be people that are excited to go more back to the land and live more sustainable lives. And with that comes the virtues of organic farming and producing food for yourself. And I, I, it all levels out in the end. Like, I don't mm -hmm. mean to cast any generalizations to say like, oh, the U.S. is bad or oh, the Japan's bad at farming. But it's these intersections during these intermediary periods in which one might be lagging or one might have an excess of resources. And there's a lot of really great ways to meet in the middle on that. And th th that's kind of like what we're doing in Hawaii as well. Hawaii uh, right now, for example, uh, we were on our second round of pilots. We did the first round of pilots in February, March of this year. And we connected with the local botanical gardens. 
And what we found out is much like the New York Parks Department, uh, the New York Parks Department doesn't just control parks, we also control all the community gardens. There are over 500 community gardens. And that's really a very important touch point for citizens to get free access or free except for sweat equity because you grow it yourself, but have land access freely to food. And that's really important to a lot of urban residents. And similarly here, the botanical gardens are like, yes, the botanic gardens are important. And much like New York City parks, like we have a lot of land and there could never be enough hands to take care of this much land. So we're really keen on volunteers, but they're also chiefly concerned with community gardens. Imagine now with limited ground staff, with limited spending as budgets are being shifted around with the challenge to get people outside, all the community gardens here, much like in the U.S., are now overgrown with weeds and community members, just because things aren't logistically convenient, they're still just as hungry as ever. They're like, hey, I really would like to grow some vegetables in my community. I really would like an open plot. And it's a really powerful connection to say, hey, we have this dedicated workforce that can quickly blitz these community gardens. We can clear out the weeds and we can reopen these plots to community members. And additionally, we have this big land mass that we can activate because there's an excess of demand and a lack of supply for community plots. Even if we open them all up, say, hey, we can also parcel out this land versus the community farming. And that's a much more valuable use of this land to the community than just a visually uh, unremarkable space that people can't walk into and has no amenities provided. So it's a good meet in the middle that otherwise, because of the current lag in logistics, it just wouldn't be feasible. And, and that's where these kind of externship programs really accelerate when you can find those connections between problems and solutions and bring the movers, bring the people together that are willing to put in the sweat equity and are motivated and can drive value, both meaningful, personal, uh, professional, academic value out of that. That's really when you make miracles happen in the working world. A hundred percent. And you know what I love? Um, you brought up, I, I, I'm very surprised to hear, by the way, that there's no demand or a little demand for those parcels, hmm. you know, it, with the population in, that you guys have. Hawaii? What? With those 500 parcels in, we're talking about. In Hawaii? In New York. Those community gardens, you, you stated oh, that. there's a lot of demand for, oh, I'm sorry. I may have misspoken. No, no, there's oh. a lot of community, demand for community gardens in New York as well. Apologies. Um, oh, I might have. I, I, was, I was merely comparing that. No, those are very popular as well. We're in the similar conundrum in New York that people want a community garden, but it's challenging. So on the flip side, I mean, I, I would say because in the urban environment, there's a lot more people clustered together closely and there actually is some capacity and there's some amazing community groups that are clearing out our green thumb gardens as we speak. Uh, I would say it, I was comparing them that both organizations are kind of similar to the uh, Hawaii Botanical Garden organization that also controls the community gardens and the Parks Department that also controls the community gardens. Uh, the interesting twist... I would say in New York, I, there's always a need for more. And I would say there's already quite a demand for the ones that exist. Uh, but thankfully, because of the logistics of the land, we really have a lot of community players that are able to take care of those sites and do quite a bit of good with them. Yeah, the, the community gardens in New York are, uh, generally speaking, in a really good place. And I think that's a really healthy thing as well that this project can add, that we have students, we have developing professionals and academics that are experiencing work through NYC Parks and learning that great model and then bring it here to help boost the model here and make it a little bit more sustainable. I love that. And um, 
you know, it's I want to jump into the um um the green roof systems uh pre- you know a little bit as well with this because to me I th- I see the green roof systems as a as that green space of a building. That's their community mm-hmm. space. And we were honored by you to invite us out to do some maintenance on your green roof. And um, I, I'd like to just show that clip because this is something, yeah. I think this is that bridge. Like we're talking about these bridges and these new systems. Mm-hmm. And as more and more people are moving into the city, why not have that bridge and that solution on your roof or on your patio? Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to have them just, uh, Steve, you want to play that clip real quick and we'll show what we did at the green roof. So Max, what was so cool about this is that after we had left the, uh, you know, all of us got together and they were like, wow, that's amazing. You know, didn't know systems like that could exist on, on a rooftop. And, you know, with the projects that you have going on now with, you know, New York city parks in Hawaii, Mm -hmm. in Japan, you're missing, you know, you're a global traveler with agriculture, (laughs) sustainable ground. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's you know why i want you here is because it's to bring out this bring out this education bring out the solutions to our audience and let them understand that you know there's a lot of moving pieces to this and there mm. you know yes there is at the end a, a particular right way but that right mm. way has to take time to be found through all the problem solving and you know as you guys get your machetes out and start chopping up that uh that that jungle that you have to walk through you'll figure out you know what you may not want to cut that plant because that plant is going to throw some uh, little stingers your way but yeah. <laughs> so, um so for everyone out there just you know for everyone out there yeah. listening right now i mean with all these projects that you have going on what yeah. is your message what what is your message to them and how if you if you were to just come across one person who's passionate at all about sustainability, whether or not they want to pursue it as a career, but just for their own daily lives, what would you what would mm. you leave them with, and how would you tell them to get involved with things? Well, definitely the way to get involved is to reach out. Please, I absolutely like any and everyone. Any questions? Anyone who wants to work with me? Anyone who wants to communicate about ideas or pitch a project, or you have a thought, or maybe you even. want to discuss one of these topics because these sciences are evolving. They're public sciences. They're not something that I'm not saying anything that's a divine truth. There's a lot of interpretation. There's a lot of situational variance. So I'm always happy to 
wax lyrical on any of these topics. I, I would say to get involved uh, beyond that and what people can do on like a daily level. And green roofs are a really great example of this. I think really right now how green roofs shine, maybe not in specifically uh, a green roof system per se, but in the format. Normally, and for the parks department, we install a lot of green roofs. We install 100,000 square feet of green roofs. We try to max out our buildings whenever possible with green roofs. And normally, the in the pursuit of that, you do these big uh, monolithic systems, like you roll out a big system across the roof. But there's also modular systems. There's smaller systems. There's smaller pilot piecemeal systems where you can break out uh, little pieces of it. And right now, especially under uh, COVID restrictions, on, we're working virtually. We have my team right now is 50 people teleworking from different places all over the country and all over the globe. It's really powerful that with small scale pilots, you can actually practice a lot of this research at home. I think it's really feasible sure. and something to look yep. into to try like a one by one or a two by two plot for its food value for its water retention, for experimental sake. There's a lot of real viable research that like, I, I don't mean to pro pose false optics, like it's great to get out here, it's important to be in the field, but a lot of this stuff can happen in your backyard and your home. It doesn't take a lot of resources. It doesn't take this grand sweeping effort. A lot of it's mostly brainstorming and trying things out on a small scale before you scale it up. So I don't mean to misrepresent, like, this is something that I just said, all right, I'm going to hop on a plane, I'm going to do this. Like, no, it's multiple levels of piloting, gradual, 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 gradual efforts. But the first steps were, like, tiny things, like having small meetings, trying small plantings, seeing what takes and what does in closed environments. So if you need materials or if you need ideas or you want to pitch something or maybe you want to identify a local community partner that might be able to provide that stuff in your house or maybe you think, oh, maybe I have some pots and pans and things in my in my cupboard and I can get a little soil from here and I want to try this plant and see what works. Like there's a lot of, I don't know, you want to call it like kitchen sink science. That's what I started on when I was very, very young. And that's not unvaluable science that that's just science using what facilities you have the only thing we're really lacking right now is that we can't always be out in the field we can't always be uh mm -hmm. face to face we can't always be traveling all over the place or doing these ridiculous things or operating labs or operating in academic scenarios but our brains are still there the capacity for greatness is still there it'll take a lot more clever steps but you can still model a lot of the things you want to learn and practice at home. So I definitely implore you to think how you might be able to boil down your ideas and your work, not let this time uh, pass you by. It's really important to for your mental health and also for your development and for saving the world. You have to keep moving forward. You can't just say, all right, well, there are a lot of challenges right now, so I better just pause and wait it out. Like that's not that's not effective nor healthy. You have to adapt, of course. And part of that is adapting your professional work, adapting your approach just to saving the environment. Say, under these current scenarios, under these current challenges, what are the solutions to these problems? It's not that the problems are unsurmountable. It's that they're a more complex puzzle, but every puzzle has a solution. So piece out how you might continue to look further into your techniques and your best practices and your ways you might help the environment. And then try modeling that on a small scale. And if you have any questions about how to come along with that, shoot me an email. I would love to talk about it. I love that you brought in the mental health piece of it because it's so true. I mean, even for me, my garden and my greenhouse have become my mm. sanctuary of meditation. And, and, you know, 
when I first started it, I was not doing very good. I, I was barely able to grow anything in the ground. Now I have all this food grown. I'm still screwing up on certain things of the sunlight and shaded areas stuff. <laughs> but a hundred percent, it's it's you're right. You have to go out there. You have to just start doing. I I always tell everyone. I always tell everyone, buy a pot and buy one pack of seeds. Mm-hmm. See if you could grow something in there. And then all of a sudden, when you see that first sprout, you know people pay a lot of attention to it. Most of the time they overwater it and it dies, but you're learning. Um, it's the same thing. It's um, with sustainability, especially in green space. And it's, you know, just this morning, here's a, you'd love this, Max. You would love this because you were with us during the, the whole beach cleanup. Okay. I have a beach next door to my house. Both events were so great. That, that was fun, right? <laughs> we, we have, I have a little clip for that too. We'll, we'll, we may show it after this. Just Oh my God. They're both so fun. Thank you again for coordinating. Dude, thank you. We're going to be doing a ton of these things together, man. We're Max, me and you are going to our graves building shit. Uh, now, well, I guess that's going to get cut out now. The, but <laughs> um, So next door to me on the beach, <laughs> um, there were these three, three young girls, um, high school age girls, cleaning up garbage on the beach just for whatever reason. So I, I'm looking at I was like, wow, that's great. And I was like, you know what? I have some, I have some merch left over. I'm, I'm going to go out there and introduce Kush to them. So I gave them each a backpack and I told them like, Hey, you know, we just did a beach cleanup. You guys are doing a beach cleanup. What made you, I wanted to know what made you pick up this garbage, you know? And they're like, well, you know, we came out of here to hang out. And all of a sudden I saw a piece of glass on the floor and I was like, Oh, that's going to be in someone's foot. So I picked that up and all of a sudden I started seeing plastic everywhere. And I see the ducks coming onto mm. the shore and eating. And I don't want those ducks to eat plastic. They cleaned up this whole beach. Mm. And I was like, this is phenomenal. Nice. what it's all about. And it's that perception of people. I think that's the biggest thing personally is, you know, with what you're doing, getting mm. people on test, building pilots, testing towards solutions and getting that education out there to give the public access there. But we need to get the public to, mm. to change that perception, to understand that they ha- they have more accessibility into these areas to be green and to be sustainable. Mm. So, but I just needed to share that with I you, think- with that, that, that whole beach cleanup deal. Mm. A piece of it that I think is really a strong catalyst of it, why, for example, the beach cleanup was compelling to these three people you met that otherwise had no monetized or real, they weren't even expecting to have an incentive because they were just going to go to the beach or like why it's really, it feels inherently good to like grow a plant. I think there's a big piece of it is having this tangible change when you, when you can really measure and see like, Oh, I did something and it had a really impact. It has a, it has made a tangible difference. There's something that really feels good about that. And that's, one real powerful project about specific types of initiatives, like the days of service that we've done. I think not only are they on the on at face value very very important. You're cleaning up a beach. You're removing trash from the ecosystem. You are helping uh, to make a uh, green infrastructure more sustainable. You're out here with me. You're clearing a community garden so that someone can farm it. The the A to B the transition is so visceral. It's so apparent that you have made a very stark impact that has enabled something to occur, that has enabled something new to blossom, that you have tangibly changed the world for the better. The very powerful motivating force 
And when you can activate that in projects, it doesn't work for every project. Like climate science, for example, is incredibly important, but you might do something to research climate change and you wouldn't see a tangible result the next day. And that shouldn't be something to discourage people. But when you activate this element of smaller pieces of the puzzle, smaller pieces that impact climate change, that impact global water pollution, that impact global health, that impact global uh, mental uh mental optics, mental stability, uh, impact uh, people's day-to-day lives. When you can weaponize almost the fact that the work you're doing is tangible and feels real and you can see that, oh, I sweated it out with all these people in the field and it was worth it because now this thing looks beautiful or now these people are smiling or now this group I've taught learned something that, that really helps bridge that gap and it almost doesn't matter how much the work is because it feels so inherently right that you did something that mattered and made a change and it's really powerful i think a lot of people a real a real if we're going to go back to like uh mental health and well-being i think a very big challenge especially now is people feel very powerless people say we're under covid and we have to quarantine and people are being furloughed and things are in a lot of trouble and people feel inherently powerless in this scenario and rightly so it's very scary but giving people those handholds to say like, hey, I can make a difference in my community. I can take care of this tree pit in front of my house and I can prune the tree and I can clear out the trash and I can add some compost and now the tree's doing better. Those tangible handholds that allow everyday people uh, in everyday scenarios to achieve greatness uh, through making very visible and very visceral changes in the world is a really powerful motivator and an incredibly beautiful catalyst to snowball those greater challenges to save the world, to save the climate, to save the ocean, to save the animals. So so it's finding those opportunities and those ways to materialize bigger goals through smaller pieces, smaller deliverables is, is part and parcel to the volunteer equation. And you guys do a great job of that. You make it super fun in the field. We have a blast and we really make a difference. We're trying. We're trying. And that's the whole thing. We want to add the fun factor to it. We don't want, you know, we don't want people out there feeling like sustain going becoming sustainable. You know, and every time the word sustainable is used, and you're gonna hear me say this over and over again, is that every time people say the word sustainable, they always think just ecology. And has uh, there's it, the word sustainable touches upon almost the diversity of everything that we do on our daily lives. Um, and we want to just have that perception of the consciousness of being sustainable in our daily routine activities, but enjoying it and having fun with it. And it's not a chore and it shouldn't be something that you always have to mentally remember in the back of your, of your head. And, you know, Oh, you got to do this. And, and you know, the whole aggressive activism, it's unneeded. You know, I think it's, it's important that we get the people together, mm. we work together, we build projects together. And then you could sit back and like what you were saying with the gratification, my hands were a part of this and this mm. feels good. And I could show my kids later on down the road that, you know, my hands were a part of this. And now it's for you guys to figure out the better solution. You know, we laid the ground mm. now it's for you guys to, to move forward. So, um, it, Max, you're. I, I can't wait to see. But by the way, I want you guys to do a Cush um, takeover of my social channel, and we'll make it easy for you guys to do this. So while you're in Hawaii, and when you finally get off that balcony, and you can spread your wings and fly the twenty minutes away, um, <laughs> um, 
take some, you know, take some videos, take some photos, yeah. get it over to us. Let us tell your story. Let us blast Love it. it there. And um, yeah, I want to see what I want to see what you guys are doing. And we will make a we will we will make it out there. We will make it to Hawaii. Not you know, not during yeah. quarantine. My wife would kill me if um, if I was to quarantine in a mansion in Hawaii for two weeks while she's not there. <laughs> it's a big pill to swallow. There's no getting around it, but it is important. I love a pill, buddy. <laughs> in the middle of Hawaii. Oh, I can't, leave my, I can't leave my balcony in paradise. Oh no. <laughs> uh, oh, don't rub it in that way, man. <laughs> uh, well, I would love to, when things are a little bit more calm, on the quarantine side to sponsor some movers or some other volunteers as they're interested, uh, who have the gumption, who are excited to really see tangible change from their work to come out here and assist us. That it's really important, much like NYC parks work, the work out here too, a lot of, and this is kind of like something that gets glazed over. People think like, Oh, there's a public park. It must be this robust functioning thing. It's like, no, a lot of public initiatives are really only possible because of dedicated, NPOs and friends of groups and conservation groups and volunteer alliances and boys and girl scouts and all different groups that help take care of these big projects. When you're taking care of an environment, that's like one of the most complicated things you could possibly imagine. There's so many facets to it. So getting dedicated volunteers and interns to do big robust projects like this and all the stuff that you coordinate is really critical. And, and we're happy to do whatever needs to be done to make it work. And I think we've really found some interesting intersections where the ways to make it work, the ways that it's worth it is that the work is very meaningful. It's very impactful. It has a great ripple to the local communities that you're serving. And it has a really big oomph factor for when you take that back home and say, check out this thing I did. It felt really good. It meant a lot to me. I know all these people I helped. Here's pictures. Here's video. Here's the ecological value. Here's the academic value. Here's the global value. Here's the food value. It's a really robust thing to be involved in. And, I, and I'm just so, so thankful that there are so many people that are willing to heed this call with us and work on these sort of projects. It, it's really amazing, like the human spirit, seeing it come out through work such as this. I know you experience this every day when you're working with volunteers and interns and students. Like when you, when you put the call out there, just like those three people you saw on the beach, like when there's the call to like say, oh, wow, I can make a difference. I can go out there and I can do a thing and it's really powerful and it's going to make the world a better place because I put my effort into it. A lot of people are really excited to do that. And it's always such a beautiful reminder that like the, the human engine is compelled to do good. When they see this amazing opportunities framed out to them to do good, they will almost inevitably do it. And that's, that's the miracle life right there. Yeah, man. Exactly. Exactly. So where's your whole crew now? Where are they? Are they hiding on you in the house or? They're inside. They're all, we're all working on East coast time. Yeah. As much as this is beautiful, we're all working our patoots off. We're on East coast time. So we're working six hours earlier than we would normally getting up. So we start at 3am wow. calls. We're working with the interns. We have all our interns doing trainings. We're doing zoom calls. We're writing up reports. We're working with local constituents. It, it's it's a busy machine here. It's like a nice little work hub. Um, it's not all fun and games, but the background, like I was saying before the call, like, you can't beat the Zoom backgrounds. I know, man. I see these beautiful flowers behind you. I hear some crazy birds. and <laughs> Yeah. 
it, it's pretty amazing just the passive nature in in spaces like this and you get this too and this is why i'm confident that eventually people will get really excited about rural japan because it doesn't look exactly like this but there's like beautiful just passive nature in rural japan that you don't see in the main cities that's what's cool i think that the hawaii to japan piece of this is you know what you're doing is really awesome because you know what 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 I'm trying to convey through Kush is getting the collective of people together of keeping us sustainably healthy and disconnecting from the distractions of the technological devices still utilize, but utilize as a tool rather than vicariously living through other people's lives through these little devices and getting them into nature. And all of a sudden what's amazing is, during COVID, I've become a professional recluse, and it's very addicting, and I enjoy it. <laughs> and when my when my best friend is the deer that comes into my yard every day to greet me, or the groundhog, it's is something just so magical and beautiful about just being one with nature, and that's the message that we want to you know, bring out to people. And, and that's why we're working on our, our land project, you know, the, the procurement of the land and getting the people, getting the members to come and have that access to this vast, pristine, untouched land and be a part of that land and live on the land. And now let's think of solutions that we could do together for society. So, um, mm -hmm. so Max, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. It was awesome. As always, my pleasure. Yo, send yeah. pictures to make us really jealous. I'm sure you will. How glad <laughs> you any academic resources otherwise. How far, you, how far are you from the coast, by the way? Um, I can no, you can't. see it over there. I could probably walk there in five minutes if I was allowed to walk five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. That is awesome. You intentionally did not put the coast in your background because you didn't want to make us super good. <laughs> <laughs> I could spin the chair around. <laughs> I'll take some pictures for you. So, um, so, Max, is there anything you want to leave everyone off with? Um, any other topics you want to hit? I know this is really open an open chat, but that's how I like talking to you. Everything just yeah, I love it. Stuff, interesting stuff, always percolates out of our brains when we chat like this. I think it's a really powerful thing, and I think that says a lot to the spirit of environmental science. It's yeah, I mean that's that's a good takeaway, if any. I think to our earlier points and to the spirit of making sure you stay involved in your communities and in the grander environment, which by all right is yours. The environment is all of ours. It's not in agencies. It's not an organization. It's not a person. The world is owned by the people. We have both a privilege and a responsibility to take care of the environments that we're currently occupying. Be empowered by that. Take charge of taking care of your environments for the better. Put in the swag at equity to make those differences that you want to see in your communities. It's very powerful. It's very important. It's very empowering. It's very healthy for you and for the planet. And there's a lot of ways to get to that point. Sometimes they're not always as obvious as others. Sometimes it's not as obvious as I see trash on the beach. I should pick that up because a turtle might eat that if I don't. Sometimes yeah. it's a lot more nuanced. Sometimes it's a lot more scientific. Sometimes it's a lot more elaborate. Sometimes you have to travel somewhere strange. Sometimes you have to work with a group that maybe you don't know. But it's important to find that A to B to connection. 
and they're out there. So feel free to reach out to me. Feel free to reach out to Charlie. Feel free to ask people in your community questions because at the end of the day, everyone wants to see the environment in a better state. No one's going to say, oh, we don't want to help you do this project. You're in, you're motivated to help the world. We're not going to empower that. It, it's a powerful, it's a powerful and organic part of the human spirit that you want to improve the world around you and activate that, optimize that, optimize on that feeling that you have to like, oh, I, I don't want to just sit here in a funk. Like I want to be productive. I want to make the mm -hmm. space around me better. And you'll find allies such as Charlie and myself to help make that energy in you explode out. You'll empower that spirit within you. Let us know. We'd be happy to work with you. And and don't be overwhelmed by it, too. It's like, it's like this is a lot to chew off. But environmental science is the people science. It changes every day. It changes based on what we're thinking. It changes based on our priorities. It changes on flavor of the day weather. It's like, don't think like, oh, I'm just starting this field. I don't know enough. It's like, no, you know, you know, you know, and it's your planet. And let's get you up to speed with the rest of it. The best thing you can do is reach out and start the conversation going and seeing where your vision of the environment fits with the current state of the environmental sciences, which has not been defined yet because it's in the moment. And there are plenty of people that would love to jam with you on that and figure out how to make your dreams a reality. And that's a career path, too. So if that's something you're truly passionate about at heart, that that's work. That's that's a life journey for you. So. If that's something that really resonates with you, please, especially if that, reach out to professionals such as us, and we'd be happy to help you find career traction. That's how people like us came to be, because someone before us was like, oh, wow, you're really impassioned about the science project? Let me introduce you to this person, or let me help you with this thesis, let me help you with this initiative. So don't don't stifle that feeling in you that says, like, oh, I want to reach out to Kush, I want to reach out to Movers, I want to reach out to Parks, I want to reach out to Max, I want to reach out to Charlie, I want to do a thing, because those are people that that are already from the jump crying out to help you. You're just helping us connect the dots and say, oh, wow, you're someone that really wants to do something good for the planet. We would love to work with you. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Dude, you said it so well. That's perfect, man. Yeah, so uh, so everyone listening, reach out. If you want to do something, and a lot of you, I always hear, you guys want to live with purpose, you want to live with impact, and you don't know where to start, here it is. Now, if you don't start, that's on you. Then you're a hypocrite. I will call you out for it. <laughs> Maybe you're just nervous. <laughs> All right. So everyone, um, um, you got, you have everyone, the contact information here, visit cushware.net, sign up to our newsletter, join the Kush movement. Um, our newsletters will be going out and providing information on events that we're doing, ways to get involved with us. So it's a, it's a cool newsletter just to proactively just get the collective of everyone together. Max, I want to thank you so much. Um, I want to see a kick-ass sunset photo from you that you're going to text to me tonight. <laughs> and have a great – when are you getting back, by the way? Uh, I'll be back uh, August 1st. So we can follow up then, but I'm sure I'll send you a bunch of media before then. I will also say that all the plants were cutting out from the jungle because it just clicked with me. Like, not going to waste. We found a local uh, mushroom farm, so that would be nice uh, organic material to feed that. It's only on island mushroom farm. This is all full circle. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Got to close out all the business. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right, Max, I'll I'll – Pardon you adieu and have a great evening. And dude, thank you so much for joining us. I know you're busy as hell. Really meant a lot for me. And uh, again, you're making me jealous. So we'll, uh, yeah, I'll get out to Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs>
Very soon, I hope. Always a pleasure. Thank you again, as always, for having me. I hope to be here many more times. And you hopefully, will. you'll be on the side of the Zoom call soon. Yes. <laughs> cool. All right. Take it Thank easy, you. man. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye.